right, you guys can take a seat. You guys are incredible. Um, Good morning, everybody. Uh, I am Pastor Chris, and I have the privilege of kicking off this new series that we're going to be doing entitled Parenthood, Walking the Walk. And this series, if you've thought ahead a little bit, is actually going to be about parenting. Uh, And I'm pretty excited about it, Um, and there's a reason for that. I don't know if I could have preached this message at the last church that I taught at, and and I'll tell you why. Um, While we were there, a movie came out, a movie entitled Home. Anybody seen this movie before? Uh, The quick rundown of the plot, just in case you haven't, is that a group of aliens invade Earth, and there's a struggle over who gets to, uh, to live here. And uh, in this movie, the aliens look like this. And, uh, and they are known as the Boove. The Boove. B-O-O-V. The Boove. Uh, so one Saturday night, we rent this movie. Nolly and I stay up late watching it. We even let her stay up past her bedtime so that we could finish the movie together. She loved it. Next morning, we go to church. Service ends, and one of the children workers comes up to me. says, what in the world did you watch with your daughter last night? I said, what do you mean? She said, well, Ollie said it was a home movie. I was like, well, I mean, kind of. And she said that the movie was just full of boobs. There was nothing but a bunch of boobs. She said, you let, you let her stay up late watching all the boobs to see what happens to the boobs. What home movie did you watch last night? And I had to explain that it was the boob, the boob, B-O-O-V. But because of that, I don't know if I could have actually taught a message on parenting at that church. But Dan is letting me teach at this church. And I am excited about that. Now, that being said, I feel like I should put out a little bit of a qualifier that I don't know what I'm doing. That when it comes to parenting, I'm still figuring it out like a lot of you. I relate to this quote from one of my favorite comedians, Jim Gaffigan. He says, I don't know what's more exhausting about parenting, the getting up early or the acting like you know what you're doing. Does any parent in the room relate to that quote at all? See, this one really hits home for me uh, lately uh, because uh, for the past decade, uh, I was one of the smartest two people in the world, according to my daughter. I knew everything. She came to me for all knowledge and it was wonderful. But about three-ish months ago, there was a shift. My 11-year-old daughter decided that I am no longer one of the two smartest people in the world. I am now the single dumbest human being that has ever lived. A good example of this would have been just this past week. Uh, It was getting late. And so I looked over at Ollie. Now that I'm saying it out loud, I I realize how stupid it is. But but I made this suggestion to her. I said, why don't you go brush your teeth? (laughs) What an idiot. Why would, I, why would I even think that's a good idea? I mean, yes, I'm paying for the $3,000 appliance that's attached to the top of your mouth right now to make your jaw big enough to fit all the teeth that are coming in, but why take care of it? Just go to bed. 
Is anybody relate to this at all? Has anybody felt like your kids think that you are the dumbest human being on the face of the planet? And so I've been questioning my parenting a lot lately. So I don't come into this series claiming to be an expert. I come into this series claiming to be like you, trying to figure it out. And hopefully we can dive into God's word and find some advice, some guidance that will help all of us that are trying to be parents be better parents. Does that sound good? Now, now you might be wondering to yourself, what if I don't have kids? What, What if I don't have kids living at home? What is in this series for me? Is there anything? The answer is no, you are free to leave. That is not true. Uh, There's a couple things here. One, I think some of the principles that we're going to be talking about are bigger than just our interaction with kids. I think it's how humans interact with one another, and I think those lessons transcend that specific relationship. So I I encourage you guys to listen for those things. Uh, But the other thing is, is I think there's a good chance that, that everybody in this room might at some point in time interact with a human being that is younger than you. In fact, I would encourage you to do so. I think one of the best things you can do is to invest your time into the next generation, to become a mentor to a kid or a youth, to become a guardian figure in their life and help guide them. I encourage everybody in this room to seek out a relationship like that. Now, you might be wondering to yourself, I I don't know where I would even find that kind of a relationship. I don't have any kids or youth in my life. I don't have children or students around. And and to that, I want to actually let you guys in on a little bit of a secret. Not a lot of people know this, but here at Cobb Prairie, we actually have an entire ministry dedicated to children and an entire ministry dedicated to students. And never once in my six plus years of being here has the leaders of any of those ministries come to me and said, you know what? We got too many volunteers. Please turn them away. Please. There's just too many of them. So what I'd like to do is draw your attention back to this table. I know it's a little dark. The lighting wasn't set up for this. Dan didn't order the spotlight. Uh, But back on this table back here that we point out all the time, you're going to find some blue cards that look like this. And they say really big in the front, volunteer. And I encourage you guys, if you're thinking to yourself, this series doesn't apply to me because I'm not a parent, I encourage you guys to fill out one of those cards and then drop them into one of these jars on the way out. And on the back of that card, you can check the ministries that you're interested in volunteering in, and you can check the children's or student ministry. And you can become one of those mentors, one of those guardian-like figures in their life to help guide them. And then when you come back next week, this series will apply to you. And there's one group of people I want to call out in particular. Um, These are the grumpy people that complain about generations younger than them. Uh, If you're wondering if this is you, uh, three qualifiers. One, if you've ever yelled at anyone to get off your lawn. Two, if you've ever begun a sentence with kids these days. Or three, if you've ever posted a meme or just a standard post on Facebook that started out with, when I was a kid, whatever. 
if that is you, you are perfect to volunteer. You are perfect for that position. And here's why. Because if you don't like something about the generation under you, try to change it. If you don't think kids these days know how to work hard, go back there and teach them how to work hard. If you don't think kids these days know how to respect their elders, go back there and teach them to respect your elders. And I only mention that because I think that complaining about the next generation doesn't help raise that generation up to be the young men and women that they need to be. And as a church, part of our calling is to do that. Amen? So, series on parenting. Now, as I thought about this series and where we were going to begin it, um, I thought about one of the most interesting books of the Bible, the one that when you're doing the yearly reading plan, you get to and you're like, yes, I've been waiting to read this one. That, of course, is Deuteronomy. Just a thriller, isn't it? Has anybody here ever read the entire book of Deuteronomy? Please raise your hand. Clap for them. Clap for them. It's like running a marathon, but in the Bible. And uh, they did it. No. So the book of Deuteronomy actually has an amazing passage pretty early on that deals with the very idea of what we're going to be talking about. And, and I want to set this up a little bit. In the chapter before this, God has given Moses the Ten Commandments. He'd gone up on the mountain. God passed those on to him. He has come down and delivered those to the people. And then the very next chapter, chapter 6, begins like this. It says, These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. And you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. And then all will go well with you, and you'll have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. And then there's a couple of verses that I'm going I'm to set aside just for a second. We're going to dive into those in just a minute. But then this is how this section concludes. It says, you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're going home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. In other words, surround yourself with reminders to do what I'm commanding you to do. Make sure that these are instilled into the next generation. That's what Moses is instructing them to do. But I think a key part of that is the two verses that we skipped over. And these two verses are actually known as the Shema. Uh, this is to a devout Jew what the Lord's Prayer is to us. These are words that if you began saying them, they would all know, they would all join in, and they would all repeat them. In fact, for thousands of years, Jews have prayed these words every morning, every midday, and every evening. I think you could actually make a valid argument that out of all the verses in the Hebrew Bible, no verse has been spoken out loud more than this one because of how many devout Jews have prayed this so many times. This is central to their faith. And you're going to see why here in just a second as I read it. It begins, 
Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. That right there is the foundation of the faith. That is the reminder that they received three times a day. Jesus would have had these words instilled inside of him, known by heart, never forgetting them. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. There's a couple things there. That beginning, the the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. See, they lived in a world where they believed there were a lot of different gods. And different gods were commanding different things. Sometimes the gods were, were battling it out with one another. And yet here is this reminder that no, there's one God. And he demands your attention, your obedience. And when you give that, he'll bless you. He goes on and it says that you must love the Lord your God. Not just a little, not just as part of your life, but with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Now, you might be wondering, why is it called the Shema? Well, it's because of that first word. It's the Hebrew word for listen. But, but in English, we get a little confused because listening to us is, is a passive activity. How many of you listen to podcasts here? Audiobooks? Anybody? Yeah, you just sit there and you listen. You, you take it in. So when I use that word, that's the kind of image that most of us have in our minds. We listen to music. We listen to a podcast. We listen to an audiobook. But the Bible Project helps us understand this a little bit better. It says the opening line, listen, O Israel, does not simply mean to let the sound waves enter your ears. Instead, the word listen here means to allow the words to sink in, provide understanding, and generate a response. In other words, in Hebrew, hearing and doing are basically the same thing. See, the Shema demands action. It is not something you say or even believe. It is something you do and you live. If you want more proof of this, take a look at Jesus. You knew I was eventually going to talk about him. Jesus has this moment. It's recorded in three of the four Gospels, almost verbatim, where a religious leader comes up to him And one of the questions that they would ask religious leaders to see where they stood on issues was they'd ask him, what is the most important commandment? And however that rabbi would answer, they would know, oh, that's that's where their focus is. And this is how Jesus answers. He says, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Sound familiar? Jesus answers with the very prayer that he's been praying since he was a boy. But then he goes on. He says the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. In other words, it's not just about your relationship with God, it's about your relationship with others. That when you believe and when you love God like that, it affects how you treat others. It demands action. And that to me is where parenthood begins. 
If we want to be the kind of parents or mentors or guardian-like figures in the next generation's life, then it begins with the Shema. It begins with action. It begins with doing and living out our faith. There's a great quote by the American author and activist James Baldwin. He says, children have never been good at listening to their elders. Can I get an amen? My daughter will do this thing where I will, I will say something to her. She's, right, she's like, here to Dan. And I'm saying, I need you to do the dishes. Crickets. I need, and so I say it over and over again, getting increasingly louder each time until finally I'm like, Ollie, I need you to do the dishes. And then she goes, oh, I heard you, Dad. Has anybody experienced that before? It's like, they, I don't know what's wrong with their ears, but they don't work. And he acknowledges this, but then he goes on. He says, but they have never failed to imitate them. How many of you have had the amazing moment where you've been raising your kid and your kid does something and it's weird, it's unusual, maybe even annoying, and then it hits you. Oh, that's me. I do that. As you guys know, I have OCD, uh, both the funny kind and the very serious real kind that I battle with. Uh, but I have my quirks. I have my ways that I like things. I set them out. You should never, ever set a book on the corner of a table like that. It should be lined up with the edges. That's just how God wants it. And I remember seeing Ollie messing around with things, getting them to line up with the edges or putting them in order by their color or rearranging things so particular. Sometimes she's here to help set up on Sunday mornings and she will go back to those tables and she will make sure those name tags are set up like an Excel grid. And sometimes I look at her and I'm like, we do not have time for this. Why are you doing this? What is wrong with you? And the answer is me. I am what is wrong with her. I have taught her this behavior. And any parent can tell you they've had a moment like this. One of my favorites was captured on TikTok not too long ago. And I'd like to show you that video right now. The mother goes on to explain that anytime her child bends over to pick something off the floor, she grunts and moans as if something is wrong with her back and she is in pain. She is not in pain. Her mother is. Her mother does that every time she picks something up. So we're going to watch it one more time. Oh, no. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Because it's true. Our kids might not listen to us, but they will imitate us. They will do the things that we are doing. And so, yes, we can teach them the Word of God. We can preach to them. We can, we can put those reminders up everywhere like Moses instructs. And I encourage us to do that. I encourage you to create a home where God has talked about where faith is discussed, where prayer is commonplace. I think all of those things are great and needed. But at the end of the day, if you want your children to love God with their heart and soul and strength, you have to love God with all your heart and soul and strength. It starts with you.
if you want your kids to grow up and be like Jesus, you have to grow up and be like Jesus. And so this week, I don't have some amazing practical advice on, well, here's what to do when your kids misbehave. This is what you do when your kid won't do something or will do something or whatever. I don't, I don't have that this week because I don't think that's where good parenting starts. I think good parenting starts right here. I think good parenting starts when we get serious about our faith and our relationship. When we begin to acknowledge that there is one God in our life and he deserves our attention and obedience. And we begin to try to figure out how to love God with everything that we are. Amen? And... Uh, See, there's a stat that I want to point out here. Um, it's been shown that if both parents go to church, 72% of their kids will attend church as an adult. But if neither parent goes to church, that number drops down to 6%. And I realize that not everything is about church attendance. Just being here, that is not the point. The point is to have a relationship with God. But if we truly believe that here, this place is a place to find the hope of the world, Jesus, if we believe that this place is where we come to learn the story of Jesus, to learn about a Jesus who loved us so much that he went to the cross to die for us so that we can experience forgiveness, a Jesus that, well, that love was so powerful, it resurrected him. And he walked out of the tomb and then he taught us how that we can, we can live resurrected lives. And when we live that resurrected life, we resurrect the world around us. We find new meaning. We ultimately become who God created us to be. If we believe that that is what you can find here in church, then we should want our kids to be here in church. Amen? And that happens when we get serious about our faith. And so my challenge for us today is for us to ask what it would look like to live out the Shema in our own lives. For you guys to go home and to begin to ask, what do I need to do in my faith, in my relationship with God, for it to get to where it needs to get, where I can walk the walk, so that when my kids look at me, they not only hear me talk about God, they see me living for God your kids are going to imitate you. They're going to do the things that you do. And I want to see the next generation grow up with the hope of the world instilled in them. We live in a world that seems like it's full of despair. Yeah, I was doing a little reflecting last week about growing up when I did in the, in the 80s and 90s before some of the big tragic world events took place that I experienced as we got into the 2000s. And I remember a childhood where I didn't have to think about politics. I remember a childhood when I didn't have to consider these broad social issues. And our youth aren't growing up in that world anymore. Talk to any of them. They're wrestling with a world that is full of despair, full of oppression, they're exposed to it from an early age and it's very, very easy to start feeling hopeless. If you look at the numbers, depression and anxiety 
are higher in our youth today than they've ever been before. If there's ever been children and students that need the hope of the world, that need Jesus, it's now. Not because I want to preach to them, but because I believe in resurrection. And so we need you guys. We we need the parents and the mentors and the guardian-like figures in this room to step up to begin to live out the words of Deuteronomy 6, to love the Lord your God with everything that you are. So I'm gonna ask you guys to stand with me and I'm gonna pray and we're gonna sing. And I'm actually gonna give you guys permission to to leave your seat during this song. I'm sorry, Dave. But I'm gonna give them permission to go back to those tables and grab one of those volunteer cards if you feel called to do so. If you're here today and you're like, I want this series to apply to me, I wanna invest in the next generation, I'm giving you guys permission, just leave your seat, go get the card, fill it out, drop it in the offering jar and begin to change some lives. For the rest of you, as we sing these words, let them sink in. As we talk about being the, Jesus being the, the center of our lives, we begin to realize that that is where, where parenthood, good parenting begins. So God, that is my prayer for our church. That we can be a church that raises up the next generation to change the world. That we can be a church that shares the hope of the world with them. God, I pray for the parents in this room. It is not easy. It is so challenging. And there are moments where you feel like you're doing amazing and moments where you feel like you're just the worst parent ever. And God, I wanna pray for for anybody experiencing the feelings on that spectrum right now, God. Just reassure them that they can do this, that you'll give them the strength to do this and and that the best thing that they can do is to focus on you. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.